Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Oh, man, it is uh, Monday on Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B. We roll on, coming off of a pretty busy weekend, a lot of basketball. A lot of basketball. Not a lot of football, though. Senior Bowl, and that's about it. That was your first weekend without. Hopefully you found ways to spend your time. Ty got to uh, drink a lot on Saturday and then hang out at the Driftwood Social Club in downtown Austin. Ty was uh, rolling with the big wigs. I was fortunate enough, as I said, to be at the Rodeo Gala, which was a lot of fun on Saturday night. Plus, watched a lot of basketball on Saturday. And uh, here to here on Monday. Did watch the Grammys last night, so we'll tell you some thoughts on that. I always watch the Grammys. I'm a big music buff and really enjoyed the performances last night and of course there's some some you know fast forward parts that uh, you can move through if you record it like I do but uh, I thought it was pretty good last night but uh, look who it is he's rolled into the South Austin Onion Creek compound and going to join me for the last couple of hours of the show today and tomorrow uh, with with Rod having his dental procedure done this morning the uh, wisdom teeth extraction he is my friend Mike Craven the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football my partner on the Eyes on Texas podcast and uh, just a heck of a good guy. Mike, how are you, my friend? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Enjoying the weekends without football, at least for this month or two. Uh, around March is where I'll start getting a little antsy. But yeah. right now, it's it's been enjoyable to kind of meet my family again, <laughs> um, enjoy the weekends. And so I uh, got to go watch my niece on Friday night. That nice. was fun. That was the first time I'd ever watched a baby that was still in diapers. So that was Oh, you babysat? I thought you were going to say you watched her playing a game or no, something. No, you, no, no. You babysat. Were watching. Babysat. Brother and sister-in-law needed a, a dinner date, so I took a three-hour shift. Luckily, no blowouts or anything crazy. <laughs> you handled so it. We, we made it through. We made it through. Well, Mike has got a book project he's working on right now that I want to tell you about and tell the audience about, which I know is a project you've been talking about all through the football season at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. But, man, it's, a, it, it's still a busy time. I know last week we had uh, uh, UIL realignment, mm-hmm. which I know you guys were knee-deep on. You're in the, you're in the college Texas College Division, but uh, high school is still the, the bread and butter, too, at Dave Campbell's. That was a, that was a lot of change, and it comes every two years, and I'm, I'm sure it's a frenzy for you guys. Yeah, it's, it's an insane day for us. Uh, luckily, I've kind of graduated past it. Uh, National Signing Day and alignment realignment are the, are the two things I don't miss about my previous gigs because <laughs> uh, it is it is hurting cats you know it is you know 1600 schools across the state you don't really know what's going to happen until 9 a.m that morning um, and it can change you know the outcomes for a lot of programs right I mean like depending on your draw you can go from a district favorite that's going to be in the playoffs for the next two years or you can be somebody battling just to sneak into the playoffs or, or not make it so uh, a pretty big day for us and, and definitely a huge traffic day. Huge traffic on Dave Campbell's Texas football. Uh, but I uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. Uh, we'll get into the uh, to the Grammy conversations and other things. Can you believe our producer, Ty Henderson, has never seen Rocky? Did you That's hear that? That's wild. That's wild. Ty, we've we got to get you uh, – this, this is like assignment spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, winter into the spring, you need to – so you've never seen any of the – like the I consider the first four the franchise of Rocky. Sure. Um, you know, so Ty, uh, Ty, are you still with us? Ty had to run to the restroom, so yeah. he'll be back. Yeah, it's a That's long what he show. Told. It's a long show. We do five hours. Uh, but so uh, you, you, we babysat on Friday. Uh, now you're writing a book, and I yeah. want to tell our audience about this. Mike Craven is with us. So you have a question about Texas football outside of the Longhorns. You'll have it on the Longhorns, too, but you cover all 13 Division One programs in the state of Texas, which is now 13 with Sam Houston State's elevation this past season. So it's as good a state to cover college football in as there is in the country, without a doubt, with 13 teams. But you're writing a book – 
based on that whole premise, right? A, t- a coffee table book? Yeah, a coffee table book with Texas Monthly. Uh, they're going to kind of design it and print it. I'm, I'm writing it and getting the photos done. Um, so basically what, what I wanted to do was I felt like last year was kind of the last season of what I think of as college football, right? Regional rivalries, the conferences that we know of before the expanded playoff, kind of a, a seminal year. Sam Houston moves up. And so I enjoy symmetry. Uh, there's 13 weeks in the college football season. There's 13 weeks or 13 programs in the FBS for Texas. And so each week I went to a different stadium. Week one, I went to TCU, Colorado. Week two, I went to Texas Tech, Oregon, so on and so forth. Um, and then with each chapter, so each chapter will be a different week. Chapter one will be week one, so it'll be about TCU. 500 words about kind of the experience I had there for the game, you know, kind of an overview of, of the history of the program, who are the best players, who are the best seasons, who are the best coaches, uh, restaurants around campus, just to kind of give everybody uh, kind of an ultimate road trip guide to going and covering or watching any of these football teams that they'd want to go watch. All right, so there you go. Uh, and so symmetry with 13 teams. So I'm assuming with the 13th week you ended up in AT&T Stadium seeing the Longhorns win the Big 12 title. Is that, that right? That was 14. That was, that week was 14. Four, that was week 14. Week 13 I was at Texas, though. That was uh, Thanksgiving Texas versus Texas Tech. That was my uh, that was my Texas game of the year. So. Okay. Well, then, and so that that's yeah, that's one of those books. I mean, we say coffee table book. You'll pass that down generations from now. We'll have that book of the, uh, the, the incredible year of 2024 because you are right um, that that we're losing a lot uh, starting next year right I mean Texas and Oklahoma are moving to the SEC uh, so Texas won't be playing Baylor won't be playing Texas Tech won't be playing TCU Oklahoma won't be playing Oklahoma State we know that that's a different state but still same kind of thing and then yes the 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 14 playoff or the 12 team playoff is coming this was a you know a final year Uh, and that's that's that because you know 50 years from now that'll be a big deal that this was the last of its kind yeah, definitely a seminal year. And, you know, like next year, a lot of teams have multiple bye weeks. It's just, you know, the season's going to go on. Like right now, it's February 5th. Next year, we're only going to be about 10 days removed from the national championship. Yeah, game. you're right like, about that. It's just a completely different calendar, a completely different game, kind of more of a pro style, you know, schedule. Uh, it's a year-round sport these days with the transfer portal and the signing and the NIL. Like there, there's, there's every year around December, people start asking me, like, what do you do when football season's not going on? <laughs> but, like – there's never not football season. College football has kind of, you know, followed that NFL model of staying in the news cycle for 12 months. I mean, the national championship happens a week later. The greatest coach of all time retires. And, you know, it feels like Michigan won that national championship game three years ago because so many things have happened uh, since then. So I wanted to kind of, I wanted to be the last time Texas played Baylor, right? It's like 113 games. They've been playing for three different centuries and 12 different decades. Right. And like that's going away. And, you know, maybe the stuff we're getting on the other end is better. You know, maybe people listening and, you know, that's for everybody to decide, like, what is better and what is worse. But it's it's undoubtedly different. And so I kind of wanted to chronicle the last year of, of the college football that I, it feels like I grew up, you know, loving and watching. No, that's what's well done. And I can't wait to uh, get my copy. And uh, it's one of those things, any idea what the timeline will be? I know you're – because you got to write a chapter for each of the 13 weeks yep. and – um, I'm on chapter you, nine now. Okay. I'm on the one that I've been dreading all year, and that's rice. Oh, <laughs> just because it's so hard to find stuff on, on rice history. It's not something that's been documented as much. Like Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech. You so can, you're, you can find that stuff easy. To recap, you're, pl- you're you're talking about the exact the game you were at and covered, but also the history of the program. Yeah, because we're going to do deeper dive on the what five the- best seasons of rice history, the five best players in rice history. Who are the five 
you know, best coaches and most important figures in Rice history. Um, and so, like, that that stuff's easier to find when you're doing A&M or Baylor or Texas than you are when you're doing Sam Houston or Rice or UTEP even. UTSA is going to be a little bit difficult because there's only 12, 12 years of history there, but I'm, I'm not on that chapter yet. And so uh, the, the timeline is I'm supposed to have all the copy done by middle of March. I get married on March 23rd. I'm supposed to have all of it then, all of it then by then. And that's in hopes of it being released and available to the public you know, around the time the magazine comes out, which is July, August, kind of leading into football season. Now, hopefully we'll be able to sell them as a bundle where if you subscribe, you can get the magazine plus the book. Well, your uh, magazine, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, is the Bible of Texas high school football. This could be the, uh, the Bible of Texas college football as well when it comes out and it'll be a must-have for all college football fans for now and for the long haul Made great christmas gift and all those kind of things father's day uh, looking forward because it, it was you know good forethought by yours mike to uh, pl- plan the project around 13 weeks and 13 teams and the final year of its kind and as you said accurately whether you liked what's coming or favor what it was you know it'll be you'll be documented it and I'll let me ask you this you piqued my interest with texas you got you're going to pick the five best players all time at texas mm-hmm you want to hear won't be easy. I do. And I, you also said five best restaurants near campus. Yep. Which one is harder? <laughs> yeah, the, the restaurants around campus, I think, are harder. And anybody listening right now, if you have, I'm, my Twitter is at Craven Mike. If you want to send me kind of your favorite restaurant that you go to before games that you'd want other fans to know about, please send them in. My five best players right now, it's still a rough draft, but right now I got Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, Tommy Nobis, Vince Young, Colt McCoy. Okay, those are the five best. That's it, pretty hard to beat right list. there. That's pretty hard, and there's ties back. Uh, but five, five best, uh, and no order, just five best. Yep, just just five best. Okay. Uh, so kind of the Mount Rushmore plus one. I like that. Can I, can I give um, you a restaurant, Mike? Yeah, yeah, should holler at me. Texas Chili Parlor, that's got to be on there. Yeah, it's on there. So my five right now, and again, these are subject to change. Dirty Martins, Clay Pitt, love that place. That's kind of a personal favorite there. Trudy's, just because it's in a local institution. Uh, El Patio, a, a big favorite oh, of mine yes. as well, and then Texas Chili Parlor. Those are my those are my. Five isn't a Dirty right. Martins is closing soon, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've been going back and forth on on should I keep it in there because it was open when I went on this tour? Uh, should I should I take it off because it's not going to be around forever? Uh, just one of those more sad Austin I hate stories. That. Isn't there like a tr- uh, like a train line coming through there yeah. or something? Yeah. It's gonna d- d- uh, maybe we can move it. Can we get it somewhere else? It'll never be the same as Dirty Martin's. I think I've been to every one of those restaurants except for. The clay pot. What is the clay pot? Clay pit. Uh, it's an Indian, Indian clay pit. Food, yeah, Indian food uh, restaurant. Oh, nice. That's interesting. Because and for folks who don't know Mike Craven's uh, history, your grandfather was the team doctor at Texas for how long? Forty years. Forty years. Yeah, he was doctor Craven. Head of kinesiology. Uh, yeah. So so been around that campus a long time. Ate a lot of dirty Martin hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, because you used to go down there with Grandpa and uh, hang out at practice and watch practice, and that was kind of your indoctrination to college football. That's and how it was babysat. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah, because both of my parents worked, you know, and so during the summer when I didn't have school, you know, Charlie had to be down there for practices or to, you know, mess with somebody's knee or ankle or something like that. So I would just load in the truck with him and go down there, do his work thing. Then we'd go to, to the ranch in Bertram. And so uh, go to Dirty just, Martins for lunch. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of his little helper down there. Uh, Matt's El Rancho, that's kind of that's his favorite place. But that feels a little far from campus, right, yeah. far from the stadium. Uh, but that that's his favorite restaurant. We used to go there a lot with the All coaches. All right, well, send us yours. Your favorite game day post pre- or post-restaurant must go. I mean, Matt's El Rancho is going to get some votes, but you're right. It's pretty far down Lamar from at that point. But uh, that's a favorite and a staple. That's one of Ty's favorite places. Ty I'm pretty sure the team, the team usually goes to Matt's, or at least some of the yeah, players do after the game. No, no, that's that was, my, that's that my hands-out favorite restaurant in Austin. 
Yeah, that was Coach Royal's spot. If you wanted to find Coach Royal back in the day, you could just go hang out at Matt's, and you were gonna you were gonna run into him between eleven and one at some point. And it seems like, as Ty, as you pointed out, that the the Mannings like hanging out at Matt's El Rancho after games. I, like I, I, I'm very happy that the Mannings uh, they they seem to frequent all my my local spots with Don Sipo and Matt's El Rancho. I'm, if I ever see my deep Eddie, then I'll know for sure that that yeah. we could definitely be friends. <laughs> the Mannings know ball. Yeah, they know where the, exactly. uh, the good queso is. Uh, somebody said the uh, Trudy's uh, is no longer there, Ty. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I yeah, thought, too. No, no longer there, but there are Trudy's in town. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're working through it. We'll see. Uh, that's a rough draft. So, yeah. send – that's what – you know, the text line's open, 447-3776 with your uh, game day restaurants. And then yeah, it, I think it would be good to have one that – you know is going to be be remaining, but you never know. You can't, you can't predict those things because again, this book's going to be read fifty years from yeah. now. In Austin, we're all going to lose all. Uh, most of these places are going to be gone. gone and replaced by a Starbucks. Because then you can say, "Oh, remember when I used to go to the uh, the Clay Pit mm-hmm. uh, or to uh, Dirty Martins?" So send those in. Um, yeah, Trudy's is closed. We're talking about the campus location, but Trudy's a good one. Cane and Abel's. Uh, well, it's not. It's a- Abel's. Abel's two point now. It's they have good food there. Yeah, how is? Have you been to the Abel's 2.0? Uh, whenever I moved my brother onto West Campus this summer, uh, me, my mom, my uh, my stepdad, and and my brother went there. And it, I mean, it's it's a little, it's different, it's smaller, but it's it's still the Cane and Abel's vibe. Um, the food's good, you know, good good well, place and, to get drinks before or after the game. Did you have Schultz Garden on there? Because Schultz Garden has some pretty good food. I mean, that's that's a that's Schultz, yeah. is prob- Schultz is probably one. It's in my experience. Right, like when I talk about like what you need to do uh, yeah, before Schultz's, a game is Schultz's go by Schultz's and, and drink a beer, uh, but it hasn't made the restaurant list yet. But that Schultz's and Matt's may be the the replacements there for uh, for Dirties and, and, and okay. Trudies. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of college football, Mike, we're, we'll talk some Super Bowl. Ty, while you were uh, running away, uh, relieving yourself, and came back, we were, we were we were stunned that you have not seen any of the Rockies, and we've decided that that needs to be a, a some homework for you winter into the spring. Is there a reason you haven't seen Rocky? It just wasn't your time period and it hasn't drug you back in? Um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty educated on you know classic movies. Uh, my mom did a really good job growing up of just kind of making me sit down and watch stuff. And I, I just I don't think Rocky was ever on her. I, I'd be surprised if she's seen all the Rockies. I know she's probably seen one or two, but um, that, that influence. And then I've just never – I've heard so much about it. I feel like I've seen the movie without seeing it. I just need to sit down and, and you know, get it done. But the, how many are there? There's like five – uh yeah well I think if you saw the first four even the three you'd be good I mean Rocky won one Best Picture at the Academy Awards so it's a legitimately much, good it's a good film well that, not, that's much to the chagrin of my friend Monty Williams who's in the Screenwriters Guild he hates that Rocky won that because <laughs> it would be like Network and some of his favorite movies all time he still thinks that was a, a travesty much like Jay Z was not a big fan of Taylor Swift last night at the Grammy Awards he was just protecting his wife but. Uh, you know, Taylor Swift won Best Album four times, and Jay-Z pointed out, wait a second, my, my wife has won more Grammys than anyone ever, and she's never won Album of the Year. Something's not working there. But that's how Monty feels about Rocky, but uh, the original. But, uh, you know, Apollo Creed was such a pivotal character, as you heard Sly Stallone just saying. Uh, Apollo Creed, man, kind of made the movie in the first two. I mean, I think it's a good movie. I think it holds up. I've watched them, you know, watched them again over the last, you know, four or five years probably. During the pandemic, I feel like I got back into kind of watching some old movies from when I was a kid. I feel like Rocky holds up. At least the first three or four uh, definitely hold up. Something worth to watch for sure, especially right now. Okay. R.I.P. Carl Weather. All right. Um, all right, real quick, and I'm just – somebody texted me this, and now I'm looking at it because we've talked about there wasn't much going on with UT. But um, – 
Is there, is there some grumblings that maybe Kyle Flood could be interested in the Boston College job? Uh, is there some talk out there? Have you heard any of that there, Ty or, or, or Mike? Because, of course, Kyle Flood is the Longhorns assistant, uh, you know, offensive coordinator, coaches the offensive line, does a stellar job. Uh, last week, Jeff Halfley left, the Boston, left Boston College to take the Green Bay Packers' defensive coordinator's job, as it does feel like college coaches are high-talented to the NFL if they can. Uh, while everything is in you know, wild, wild westland in, the, in college football. But would, did that make some sense to you? Are you hearing anything on Kyle Flood, maybe looking at uh, a vacancy at BC? Remember, he was the coach at Rutgers at one point. Mm-hmm. And uh, BC is in the ACC. What are your thoughts on that? Does that do anything for you? I mean, it would be a big loss for Texas. Yeah, it would. Uh, but I mean, I th- that's what comes with success, right? When you're 13-12 and 12 over the first two years, you're going to keep continuity. You know, that's, that's why a lot of those coaching staff didn't leave. I think they only lost a wide receiver coach, really. You know, the first couple of years under Sark. But then you win a Big 12 championship, you know, you go to the college football playoff, all of a sudden people are going to want some of that sauce, right? People are going to start to start to steal some of that away. You know, I think Kyle Flood would be an excellent head coach again. You know, he's he kind of he, he's kind of a semi-head coach there for Texas right now. He does a lot of that stuff behind the scenes for the Longhorns. So I'd, I'd imagine he gets an interview, uh, whether, you know, and, and if he's able to, to go get that job, I, you know, you'd have, to, you'd have to take it, right? I mean, I, I would think that's a promotion. Yeah, but I mean, Texas will pay him. I mean, that's the one thing I know. I mean, Texas will uh, – can you win at Boston College? Maybe. I mean, that's one of those head coach versus – because then at that point – you're taking on all the responsibilities of the NIL and the whole program, which is what Jeff Halfley was kind of getting tired of. It will be – you have to consider it. I don't know if it's, a, if it's an absolute slam dunk in my mind that you take the job and then, you know, leave what you've got going here where they'll pay you really well to be the offensive coordinator and essentially assistant head coach, uh, upwards of $2 million. Uh, so uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. Nothing, you know, on the front burner there. I just saw some somebody texted and then I looked up and – uh, there is some, some some rumblings about that out there. Let me ask you more about this. Mike Craven is with us, senior writer Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Send in those Texas game day restaurant locations that are your favorites for his new book. Do we have a title of the book, by the way? No, I think the working title is just like Ultimate ultimate guide to texas college football or something like that and you said texas monthly's in partnership on yeah texas monthly is going to be the one designing and printing the book and so uh you know i i as a this is a this is a secret to the writing industry we don't really write our own titles right like anytime you as a reader out there getting mad at a headline that wasn't written by the guy who who wrote the story that's usually an editor or somebody coming in and putting a headline on top of there so i i'm not a good title writer uh, so somebody, somebody's going to have to help me help me with the title, with the headline. Oh, I, I, so I, I do a lot of our social media here at the Horn, and I will sit there for five to 15 minutes trying to think of a one-sentence-long Instagram yeah. caption, thinking I sound like <laughs> so, an idiot. Every, I'm like, oh, yeah. that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound I right. Can write, I can write 1,500 words in my sleep. Yes. You ask me to title that 1,500 words, <laughs> it's going to take me a long, long time. Oh, man. All right. Well, here's a story, and you can send in your suggestions for the restaurants for Mike and any thoughts on a book title. Uh, and that book should be out by uh, by football season of next year, maybe before that, maybe in uh, July, which we're looking forward to. Uh, Mike Craven with us. But here's the headline of a story that uh, propped on Friday that I think is uh, very interesting. It's got a lot of, a lot of ch- things to chew on. The SEC and the Big Ten form an advisory group to address issues in college sports. And one of the things that Rod and I have talked about a lot, and you and I, Mike, on the Eyes on Texas podcast we do, is 2024 has to be the year that substantial changes are made and pushed for and pushed through. And you've got to stop kicking the tan down the road. And I think, from what I've heard and people I've talked to, and you can address it, Dusey, I know you talk to a lot of people, that 2024 is the year because now the, the conference consolidation is, is happening. Um, you know, all the moves will, will happen on July 1st. Texas into the SEC and the Big 12 will respond. And 
all the new schools into the Big Ten from the West Coast. That's all going to happen. And the new TV deals take over, right? ESPN takes control of the SEC, along with the ACC and most of the Big 12. Fox and CBS are going to handle the Big Ten, and there's mega dollars coming in. It feels to me and a lot of folks that this is the year to say, all right, enough's enough. We don't, there's, we can't continue to operate this way in college football with, you know, transfer portal, no limits whatsoever, uh, NILs, collectives, everything that's going on. We have to unite as – because now, look, if you take the, the, the four power conferences, because the SEC and the Big Ten are the one forming this advisory group to address issues in college sports. Essentially, they're going to work together to try to answer some of the hard questions, put some things in place that maybe they can work towards. An alliance. An alliance. We've heard that before from the Big Ten. That um, worked out well. That worked out well. <laughs> but as Greg Sankey said, the commissioner of the SEC, pressure is mounting and conversations are needed about what might be a path forward for college sports. Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti echoed his, his saying, saying the two conferences have substantial investment in college sports as a governing body. And um, the, the conferences said the group has no authority to act independently and will only serve as a consulting body. Its exact nature and specific goals have yet to be determined. But at least it's a start. <laughs> at least we're uniting and saying, okay, the SEC is going to work with the Big Ten. And I'm assuming – eventually the Big 12 and the ACC will be included in this too. I know the ACC's got some, their own issues in-house they've got to deal with, but as all this comes together, you get those four power conferences with football, that's 68 teams, Mike. And is there a way to leverage this and say, you know what, we're going to govern ourselves, we're going to, we're going to create a, a governing body, you know, something similar to the College Football Playoff Committee that picks the playoff that is going to – and we're going we're gonna to answer to them. We're going to agree to play all by the same rules within this 68, you know, school field, and we're going to let the NCAA back out, and the NCAA can control everything else, every other level of, of football, uh, and all the rest of the teams at Division One, and the rest of it, and then the rest of athletics. Uh, but we need to govern ourselves to put, to put ourselves in a position that we can be sustainable. Yeah, I, I don't think any of us know what's going to happen, even at the top. Like, I don't think Greg Sankey knows what the future of college football is going to be. But I know behind the scenes a lot of people are worried, or at least they believe, that we're heading towards a split. That the top of college football, the top of athletics that are making millions and millions and millions of dollars are eventually going to split, right? And that probably is the power four. And I remember when SMU joined the ACC and foregoed you know, 10 years worth of television revenues to do it behind the scenes. The question was, well, why would you do that? Why would you give up what is essentially a hundred million dollars of television rights to go join this conference? And the answer I got the most part is, well, we have to do it now or we're going to be in the second division of football. Yeah. Right. Like they wanted to get into the party. They wanted to get into the dance and they believe that those four conferences are eventually going to split off and do their own thing, have their own governing body, have their own playoffs make their own money, split it revenue-wise. And SMU wanted to be with those schools rather than with North Texas and UTSA and Rice, which will be in that second group that we'll think of as the NCAA, right? Like they'll have their own playoffs, their own structure. They'll get ruled by a different governing body with their own rules because they don't have the money uh, to operate like a Texas and Texas A&M. They're already playing two different sports, but that is going to be – that chasm is going to grow and grow. And it goes all the way down. Like Sam Houston, we talked about them joining the FBS. Well, why? One, it was to get towards 30,000 students because they're trying to get enrollment up, and they feel like having Division One football will help that as well. But they also think this split is going to happen, and they don't want to be in Division Two football. They want to be in what will be you know, FCS. The second level, yeah. Right, what, what we think of like FCS now, right, will be with UTSAs and UTEPs and North Texases and 
Sam Houston wanted to be there rather than with Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christians and some of those other schools, right? And so everybody right now, I think a lot of this movement is to jockey for position, to be part of whatever group you want to be with when this thing eventually gets split into major, major college football, then what we think of the NCAA, like G5, uh, and then FCS, and then Division Two, and, and so far, uh, so far. And so I think well, that's great insight, and you cover those programs, and that is absolutely true. And look, I do think, to your point about SMU, you know, once the, you know, the Pac-12 was essentially eviscerated, uh, with the four teams headed to the Big Ten, the four teams headed to the SEC, to the to the Big Twelve, and the Pac-12 will no longer exist. Coming off an unbelievable year that they just had, um, you know, in football, and and they're. There, I think there was kind of an outcry that like, we got to have. We're all we all see we're headed here. We have to have Stanford and Cal part of this, right? They need to find a place to land, and then well, we need SMU because we'd like to play in Dallas. Because you know there are a lot of reports that what Clemson and Florida State are most mad about is that the addition of those schools, and that's why they want out. And they're gonna because even within that 68 team field, there's still rancor going on between some of the schools, especially in the ACC. But I think you're exactly right. I think that is where it's going. I think this step that came down Friday is the first step of those things to where we're going to get to a point where there's 68 teams playing in four conferences. Uh, we've heard Chip Kelly, the, the coach at UCLA, talking about they should then negotiate the TV rights together, kind of like the NFL does, as a 68-team as a strong entity and call it whatever we call it. You know, Rod Babers has lobbied for Nick Saban to be the first commissioner, kind of be the board George Washington of new college football and, you know, lead us across the Potomac. And, a little shorter. Uh, yeah, a little shorter And because Nick Saban, you would think, would have the best interest of college football and its its integrity at, at, the, at the core. Um, but, you know, you know what would happen. You, you nominate Nick Saban, then the Big Ten folks are mad. We don't want Nick Saban. We want somebody else to be that. But either way, you need someone at the head of it who is in charge, and I think you said it right, the, the rest will be still part of the NCAA. They'll have a championship. They'll have TV deals that they'll do with – because there's a lot of TV networks out there and streaming services that want to broadcast football. They'll still be there. But essentially, there's 32 teams in the NFL. I see 68 programs in the new you know, NFL Lite or College Football Plus, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where it, where it goes. Like, is there one day like a Texas football club? Right, where like the student, like they're not really student athletes anymore. They're just players that are playing football at Texas, and then that that group license out the logo and the names of the schools, right? And it's just like a separate entity from school. Like how how does this work? Because I think what the thing that's really messing this up is the courts. Yes. Like everything that the NCAA tries to do gets shut down as soon as it gets in front of a judge, and so they're just losing their bite. Like they don't have any cards left to play, honestly. And so the only thing left is to split off, collectively bargain this thing, make these these players into to actual employees, and then instead of fans footing the NIL bill, it becomes the school's responsibility. And who's ever making this billion dollars off of ESPN and, and Fox and that kind of stuff? Well, you pay the players, just like you pay the coaches and the staff at the concessions. Like, you you foot that bill, right? And so uh, it you're right. There has to be something done uh, because if not – uh, we're going to lose more and more coaches. We're going to lose more and more players, and, and the sport's going to go down a road that nobody wants it to. Right. Well, and again, as I've argued for folks who will say, well, you argued for this E. Well, I argued for the NCAA to be more flexible for the last 25 years and to make incremental changes that would allow this system to be sustainable and not lose all these court battles eventually and not be, uh, you know, running a business model that's not that, that violates, you know, basic U.S. antitrust rules and laws, uh, which it does. And that's why they lose in court every time, because it violates – 
the way business is done mm-hmm. and fair business is done. It's not a fair business practice, and that's been you know won over and over again. So you need to put it in place where but not all the schools can do it. Not all the schools need to be a part of it. We don't want all the schools in it. Uh, is this the number? Is 68 the right number? Those things will be debated, but it's a great point. It's a good conversation. I do think the first step was taken last Friday with the Big Ten SEC joint announcement that came out. Keep an eye on that. We'll come back. Uh, who are the Dallas Cowboys going to hire to be their defensive coordinator? We'll ask Ty. There is some reporting out there that uh, Jerry Jones is looking for a home run hire to replace Dan Quinn. We'll also talk about Dan Quinn hiring Cliff Kingsbury to be the new offense coordinator in Washington. Does that make you think that uh, maybe there is room for a, a, maybe a Caleb Williams trade at the top of the draft? We'll get you details on that coming up. It's him up with Ian Rodby. Mike Craven hanging out this morning. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Uh Uh-oh, here it is. Ian Rappaport, the rap sheet, NFL Network, says uh, as the Cowboys dig in on their search for a new defensive coordinator, Ron Rivera will meet with them this week about the job. Mike Zimmer is also among candidates. I would have to say, and you're a gambling man, Mike Craven. <laughs> you like to play a wager or two. I do. Um, what, what do you game? What's what sport do you gamble most on? Is it soccer? No, it's football. Football. Yeah. <laughs> football for sure. <laughs> they haven't blocked insider trading yet, so that's good. Know, I think uh, I think most sports writers bet on their on their sport the most, probably. Because you know it the best, right? You got you feel like, and you're not always right, but you feel. Yeah, just got to be 52% right. That's right. Uh, but if I had to bet, I'm going to bet Mike Zimmer right now is the new defense coordinator of the Cowboys. Based on my history of knowing Jerry Jones, he's a really good defensive coordinator, and Jerry knows him. Yep. He's familiar with him. He's worked with him before, and there's there's a mutual respect there where you know Mike Vrabel, Ron Rivera, I don't think there's that same level of, of, understand, of, uh, of awareness. Yeah, and Zimmer knows the deal. He knows who's in charge and who his boss is and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to explain the dynamics of Jerry World and what, what happens with the Cowboys to him. He, he, he knows that intimately. Uh, you know, Vrabel may push back on some of that. Rivera may push back on some of that, uh, where I don't – you know, Zimmer obviously won't. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Ty, you're the Cowboys fan, and uh, we talked about this a bit earlier. Would you be in favor of, uh, of Mike Zimmer, uh, former Minnesota Vikings head coach, taking the reins of the Cowboys defense? I think that would be the safe hire. I do, too. I think it's the likely hire. And, I, look, he's a really good defensive coordinator and having interviewed him many times and met him, he's a really nice, really good good football coach. Um, you know, he had the Vikings on the verge of the Super Bowl a couple times. Um, and he can coach defense. And remember when he was when, – when Bill Parcells came in, Mike Zimmer was already on the staff. And he was flexible enough to move from the defense he was running to what Bill Parcells wanted to do. And it was a nice, seamless transition. And that's what earned him a lot of respect from Cowboys fans. And, you know – the thing that you have to replace is what, you know, Dan Quinn has kind of built this defense and the roster and the image of defense he wants to play, the positionless football concepts. And, you know, not every defensive coordinator is, is in that realm. So you want someone who can be malleable and, and take what you have there and, and create the best defense possible with some additions. But at the same time, Mike Zimmer does seem – because Mike Vrabel – because here's the other thing. You, might, you hire Mike Vrabel, and there have been some people talking about uh, Bill Belichick. Would Bill Belichick become a defensive coordinator? I think there's, you know you – know, Snow in, snow in the desert before this happens. But, um, you know, if you hire Mike Vrabel, the immediate narrative from people like you, sports writers, Mike, and people like me, opinion makers on the radio, is, well, he's the next head coach of the right. Cowboys. He's and Mike McCarthy, yeah, he's, already, he's already in line to take Mike McCarthy's job. Yeah, and he should. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's the better football coach. And so, yeah, I, I, 
I think if you're if you're the Cowboys right now, I mean the the first question in the interview process is easy, right? I mean, wh- what would you do with Micah Parsons? Yes, and, and you you listen to that, and, and then you base your decision off that. That 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 would be how I hired the defensive coordinator. Who has the best plan to use Micah Parsons? You figure out what that plan is, what you want that to be. You listen to those answers, and, and you hire the guy who's going to use your your chess piece that way, and then you build the defense around how you use Micah Parsons anyway. Yeah, you're right about that. That's a that's a great point because. You know, at some point here shortly, you're going to make him maybe the highest paid defensive player in the league for what he's done through his first couple of years in the, in the league. And, you know, it's got to get better. I mean, it's got to you, – you, this guy needs to become, you know, J.J. Watt or, you know, T.J. Watt or, you know, this, he's got to become a 20-sack a season guy uh, if you're going to get what you want out of, uh, out of Micah Parson and worth his value. Uh, and that's the other issue for the Cowboys that they've got to deal with is, you know, this Dak Prescott contract, which is a $59 million cap hit this year. They've got to get that renegotiated, but I've argued, you know, do you really want to do that and, and, and marry yourself to Dak Prescott for the next five or six years? Uh, I'd be careful with that, but uh, there are no easy answers right now with the Cowboys, and that's why Dan Quinn, I think, jumped at the opportunity to take the Washington job, um, you know, and, and finally take one. I mean, it felt like he was I, – I think if you could pour truth serum into Dan Quinn, he'd say, I'm pretty disappointed I didn't get the Seahawks job. I think the Seahawks job is the one he finally wanted, and they didn't want him. They wanted Mike McDonald, the uh, – the uh, Baltimore Ravens' young defensive coordinator. And so Washington didn't get Ben Johnson, the coordinator from the Detroit Lions, who you know, decided to stay, and so Dan Quinn gets the gig. So now Dan Quinn brings in Joe Witt Jr. to run the defense. So, again, we talk about familiarity within this division. Kellen Moore is now the offensive coordinator in Philly. Joe Witt Jr. and Dan Quinn are now in Washington, who you play twice a year. They're going to have very, a lot of familiarity with your team and your roster and tendencies and things of that nature. And now here comes Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, to be the offensive coordinator of your Washington Commanders. Now, as I said early in the 6 o'clock hour, when I first heard this, because we left the show on Friday, Mike, and the word was, Mike, that Cliff Kingsbury was going to Oakland or Vegas yeah. to coach the Raiders. And something happened in those negotiations and or Washington sweetened the pot um, because it, because the other narrative in uh, conversation of last week, Mike, was that Caleb Williams doesn't want to play in Chicago that his, his dad and his family have made it public, that they're gonna, they don't want to be a Bear. The Bears have never developed a great quarterback. Uh, they don't want to be there. And that he actually prefers to be in Washington because that's where he played high school in that area, right, the uh, greater, what is it, Maryland mm-hmm. corridor uh, where he played high school football. And that maybe that would be his first choice. Well, now Washington has the second pick and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, it's been made known to the Bears – that uh, we don't want to be there. I wonder if there's already talks being had about, you know, Bears and Washington swapping picks with some type of big trade to get Washington into the one hole to take Caleb Williams. And now Caleb, now Cliff Kingsbury is there, Mike, who just worked with him for a year at USC. Yeah, if you're the Bears, I think you find a way to make that trade happen. You just take Drake May and probably have as good or not, maybe even a better quarterback in, in the NFL uh, eventually. So I think Cliff – I like to make fun of Cliff on social media, you know, because he's got pretty pr- privilege and, and a lot of other things going for him. Uh, but as long as he doesn't have to worry about a defense, like if he doesn't have to, like, prepare for Baylor's defense, Cliff Kingsbury is pretty good, right? He's a pretty good offensive mind. The Cardinals weren't very good, but their offense is pretty solid. You look at their, you know, yards and points, per, you know, they weren't, they weren't that bad. And so I, I think he'll be a good offensive coordinator. I think he's a fine hire there. And if you can – if that helps you get Caleb Williams, oh, man. Uh, then it's definitely worth it. It is. And to your point about the Bears, do you want to draft a guy, even though he's ultra-talented, who's going to be a problem and may, you know, I don't know what his, you know, this is the Eli Manning thing all over again from two decades ago. Uh, And, you know, John Elway did this. 
John Elway had baseball that he could leverage, right? He just told the Baltimore Colts or the Indianapolis Colts, look, I'll just go play for the Yankees. I've already got a contract. I don't need to play for you guys. I have leverage. Uh, I, you know, Eli had the Manning name, and Archie Manning was, you know, having played in the league and been around the league for so long, was he didn't want his son going to play for the Spanos family, who was always known as a cheap ownership group. And so he, he played his power hand and ended up landing that deal. And, you know, Philip Rivers ended up in San Diego at the time. And, you know, Eli ended up in New York and won two Super Bowls. So it worked. I mean, this could be similar. And But if you're the Bears, it really depends on how close the grade is between Caleb Williams and Derek May. If it's sure. close, you might consider it. And you might be able to get a King's Ransom from Washington, who's got a new ownership group who's trying to, you know, rebrand and bring their fans back after the years of Daniel Snyder misery. Uh, there might be something there. And the hometown kid uh, coming back, you know, best prospects I'm ever saying since Andrew Luck coming out of college. So uh, we'll see. That, that that piqued my interest because when, you know, 48 hours before he was, he was going to the Vegas, now he's going to Washington. Something happened there. Well, maybe Vegas just told him he wasn't allowed to be there. You know, like Cliff Kingsbury in Vegas? Ooh. That would have been a dangerous situation for everybody involved, right? That's true. Um, so it's probably best for him and his uh, his career that he ended up <laughs> in in the D.C. area there because he would have he would have had a little bit too much fun. I would have worried about his uh, his clock management had he been had he been in Vegas, how much he was in the office, how much he wasn't in the office. But I, are we sure that the Bears are completely moving on from Justin Fields? Well, that's like, the is other. That, is that like – because if not – not, then you you definitely make that trade, right? Like or a trade with somebody uh, to get out of that first spot, uh, move down a little bit, maybe get your wide receiver or two, and, and some help around Justin Fields. Well, I mean that's and Rod and I have debated this. Rod would tell you that that's the dumbest thing. I mean, if you have a chance to get an elite quarterback, Justin Fields is good. Is he elite? Is he ever going to be elite? That becomes the question. In this league, if you have a chance to get a can't-miss guy or as close to it as we can get in this league, you take him and you trade Justin Fields and see if you can get a second-round pick or something for him down the road. But, yes, that is still – everyone's wondering what Chicago's going to do. And now we wonder what Washington's going to do because there's some who will say that Washington will be good just to sit there and take Drake May and let Cliff Kingsbury coach Drake May, mm-hmm. and that will be their franchise quarterback. That could work out that way. And I did find it interesting that at the uh, Duke-North Carolina game Saturday night, Sam Howell was sitting next to Drake May. <laughs> You're thinking, hey, there's Washington's current quarterback. That could be his replacement. Uh, he's sitting next to and rooting on the Tar Heels, which was kind of cool. Uh, so, yes, all this is uh, percolating now that the uh, the coaching carousel is moving again. Now it's down to the coordinator level now that uh, all the head coaching vacancies have been filled. Uh, were you surprised at all? I know I, I know the answer because we've talked about it, but for our audience, were you surprised at all that Jim Harbaugh bolted back to the NFL after winning the Natty? No, he had to, right? I mean, the NCAA was coming. Whatever they, they do to Michigan will be less than now that, that Jim Harbaugh's that, that not there. He's a Michigan man. He won his national championship. I think he did everything he could. And he knows leaving is the best thing for Michigan, right, uh, And to, to let them kind of get over that saga, get a slap on the wrist from the NCAA and, and move forward. And the way he did it by waiting so long, it actually was better than what Preserved Saban the roster, did, right? Yeah. It reserved the roster. It kind of forced them to hire his guy and Sharon Moore. Um, to keep the roster together and the continuity together because the spring semester was already starting. So it it felt like a no-brainer for Harbaugh, who uh, I don't think gets the credit he deserves for how good of a coach he is. And if he can go at a Super Bowl, then all of a sudden he's in that Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll kind of, you know, uh, you know, exclusive company where you've won a college championship and a pro championship. Now, it's a beautiful thing that he says he wants to live in his RV down by the down by the coast or something, which is great until he finds a new place. But at the same time, you're right. He doesn't get credit because he is, so, he is such a quirky personality. <laughs> he's a weird dude. But he's a really good coach. And, 
he said it. This is what I appreciate about him at his opening press conference. Actually, he said it on the interview with CBS before the AFC Championship game. He said the three – I mean, we talked about what would be the three reasons. He's 60 now. You know, he talked about Sands through the hourglass. He's only got so many more trips around the sun. If I want to go back to the NFL, I probably should go now. You know, Michigan's in good hands, my alma mater. Uh, and there's this superstar playing quarterback who's yeah. pretty damn good, and he's like 26 years old. Uh, I can work with that. Uh, yet you, you combine all three. Plus, they're willing to pay him 15 or $16 million a season to coach the team. And Which helps. That helps. And, you know, and, you know, speaking of Jerry Jones and familiarity, he knows the Spanos family, played for the Chargers, and have, has a good relationship with them. So that all came together. And um, as we've talked about, that division now features Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Sean Payton, and now Jim Harbaugh with, John, with Justin Herbert, along with Antonio Pierce. Yeah. One of those things is not like the other, but it will be an intriguing – coaching division in and, the years moving forward. And for the Chargers, you know, they, they just lose close game after close game. That's been the deal with Herbert so far. And some of that's on Herbert and the decisions that he's making, but some of that is on coaching as well. And if Jim Harbaugh does one thing really well, it is in-game management, close game, don't screw this thing up, we're going to win this football game, right? He did it against Alabama. Like, that. that is the thing he does best at, right, is those one possession, uh, how do you get this coin flip game to go in your favor if all of a sudden the Chargers go from, from losing 66% of those coin flip games to winning 66% of those coin flip games, well, yeah. now they're winning 11, 12 games a year, and they're in the playoffs every single year. That's right. I mean, And, and so, like, that, to me, it was, a, it was the best fit for Harbaugh, but I think the Chargers were also the best fit on the other end, right? Like, Harbaugh was the best fit for them because he can come in, he can be the quarterback guy, he can win those close games, he can get some discipline, the defense is going to get better. And those are the things the Chargers have to do to, to compete with those other teams you were talking about. Let's not forget when uh, Mike Singletary was the coach in 2010 of the 49ers, they went 6-10. and 10. And that was the year that Singletary got fired and they hired Jim Tom Sula. Next year they hired Jim Harbaugh and they went 13-3. and three. Yeah. And then 11-4 and four and then 12-4 and, and went to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's Jim Harbaugh can flat coach. I mean, that's just – and that's a talented roster to your point. Um, you know, they've got some cap issues they've got to work through. But, man, that is – that seems like a – I'd be betting the over on uh, win totals for 2024 mm -hmm. for uh, the, the L.A. Chargers with Jim Harbaugh at the helm and building the staff he wants to build. We'll come back. When we do, we'll play a round of Who Said That with Mike Craven. Some good audio from around the uh, sporting landscape. See if we can guess who said it. We'll also get into our fabulous fifth hour on this busy Monday. Glad you're with us. Good, the bad, and the ugly on Hoop Up. Aaron Hogan. You just got to keep living, man. Rod Babers. L-I-V-I-N. E and Rod B. On the horn. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? All right, who said that time? Even without Rod Babers, who we're uh, thinking about, he's headed in to get his wisdom teeth extracted. Uh, do you still have your wisdom teeth, Mike Raven? I do. You do? Me too. I do. Me too. No, I'm not evolved. I'm uh, lactose intolerant. I still have my wisdom teeth. Uh, <laughs> just haven't haven't quite made it. That's we talked about that last week, Ron. I still have my teeth, my wisdom teeth, and my tonsils. Yeah, me too. Never yep. had any taken from me. Um, but you know, I'm 51 now, so I don't think I'm going to keep them at this point. Rod went in for a just a regular dental appointment last week, and Dr. Eckers like, man, you got to get these things out. They're starting to push your other teeth around. You're going to start doing some damage here. Let's get these bad boys out of there. So he's doing that today. Uh, he'll. He'll effort to be back on Wednesday. He thinks he will. Dr. Eckert said that was probably his timeline. He'll be pretty sore today and into tomorrow, but should be good by Wednesday. So Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas football, will be hanging out with us uh, in the back end of the show today and tomorrow. So we appreciate him being here. Uh, in this segment, Mike, we play something called Who Said That? Uh, we play audio for one another, try to guess who said it. Can you guess who said this? 
when talking about his football team? Uh, I think you really have to ask them individually. Uh, collectively, as a team, I can tell you, as a defense, it's unacceptable. All right? And we talked about that. Uh, I wish I could tell these guys on play four, on play 27, this is what's going to happen. Uh, you don't know. Uh, so we got to make sure that we play every down as if it's going to be the difference in the ball game. And you could see on those two particular plays, uh, it wasn't to our standard. And those guys understand and know that, and quite honestly, it was embarrassing. Any guess? I have no guess. All right, that is uh, – uh, that's a tough one. That's the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, Steve Wilkes. Okay. And he was talking about, you know, if you go back and watch – uh, the first half of the Lions game and the NFC Championship game, there's, a, there's you know, on, you know the, the, the eye in the sky don't lie. The tape don't lie. Like, there are two cases, and most specifically, remember the Jameer Gibbs touchdown run where he kind of slithered his way all the way to the end zone, and you're like, how did he get through all those guys? You go back and watch the tape and look from above, Chase Young is just loafing. I mean, he made no effort to make a tackle. Like, at one point, Jameer Gibbs cut back right in towards him, and he didn't even try to tackle the guy. And, of course, this is the NFC Championship game uh, to go to the Super Bowl. And 49ers fans in the media are rightfully asking, what the hell's going on? And uh, John Lynch and Steve Wilkes and Kyle Shanahan all said it's been addressed. And, remember, they traded for Chase Young. And he wasn't the only one. There were a couple of guys on that play and a couple other plays he heard Steve Wilkes talking about that, you know, just they weren't giving their all. And on play, it's like, what? What is going on? This is – that is – it's another reason I'm like, why are the Niners favored in this game? Yeah, I don't know that one either. As soon as the line was uh, released, I put maybe a month's worth of mortgage on, <laughs> on the Kansas City uh, side of the thing. Um, you know, what's been interesting to me about the 49ers is that they've been the bullies of football on the defensive side of the ball for a little while now, and the Ravens in that regular season game kind of came in there and punched them in the mouth, and, and they didn't respond all that well to it. And um, the Packers kind of followed a similar – uh, script where they, you know, just kind of pulled their guard and, and tackle outside and, you know, hammered down on the edge with the tight end and then just kind of, you know, pushed the edge there in the running game. The Lions kind of copy and pasted that exact same thing. I mean, the first play of the game, Panay Sewell, Sewell, you know, pulls out and just crushes the defensive back, right? And like, so they've been attacking the edges uh, of the San Francisco uh, run defense for the last, you know, three, four times that they've played a game. And I think Kansas City is going to do the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, try to get to the edge, try to be physical with them. You saw Travis Kelsey be, get physical in the in the run game against Baltimore on the AFC championship game. So I, to me, that's going to be the deal, right? Because if the Chiefs can run the football, the 49ers have no chance, right? Because if you, if you can allow – if Patrick Mahomes – uh, gets to be balanced, you're not going to stop the Chiefs. And so uh, the only way the 49ers win this game, it's going to sound crazy, is to, to stop the run and make it a Patrick Mahomes-only type of football game. And then cover Travis Kelsey. I mean, that, I mean, that's really the game plan. And people say that, and then they discover it's a little harder than just stopping him. But it is. I mean, that's, that's why it's amazing. Even, you know, Buffalo had a bunch of injuries, but even the Ravens in those first couple of drives – and, and, you know, we heard a lot of sound last week of Travis Kelsey, teammates of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Holmes about how they have this Jordan-Colt McCoy relationship, Jordan Shipley, where it's not really even a route. It's just they read one another, and especially if it's zone. It's not a man coverage that Travis Kelsey has this genius ability to find the hole, and, you know, tri- you know Patrick Mahomes has, a, has the ability to read it. And those first two drives where the, the Chiefs scored touchdowns was all zone. And they, once they went to man and they put Kyle Hamilton on Travis Kelsey a lot, they eliminated it and they didn't score another touchdown. But the damage was done because Lamar Jackson couldn't move his team. I agree with you 100%. We'll talk more about that, about uh, teams able to run on the Niners 
And it's amazing to me, or interesting to me, that four years later, this is a rematch of Super Bowl 54, the roles and the uh, the type of team each of them are, are completely flipped from where they were four years ago to now. And it really makes for a fascinating matchup on Sunday. We'll talk more about it. Uh, we'll do a little more who said that from maybe the Grammys last night. Uh, we got more to come. It's uh, the fabulous fifth hour coming your way next on Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby, Mike Craven, our special guest this morning.